This is The Global Custodian. There's always a FinReg Angle podcast keeping you up to date with the latest developments in financial regulation. Hello and welcome to episode nine of There's Always a FinReg Angle. I'm John Watkins, editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually as always by a cast of FinReg experts, Sean Tuffy, Virginia O'Shea and Joe Parsons. Welcome back, everyone. Hi there. Good to be back. Hello. Hey, it's been a while. But before we get into how are you, what have you been up to? We've got breaking news. Breaking news coming at you live from the FinReg podcast, where everyone goes to get their pandemic updates, I'm sure. Um, there might be a vaccine on the horizon. Uh, today, we, we heard that um, some trials from, from Pfizer have been successful. Uh, Sean, big question. What does this mean for a potential SEC and CFTC merger? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it can only help the cause, right? <laughs> like, this, the, there's always a FinRig angle, so there's got to be one to the, to the vaccine. What this means is we're not going to have to do this virtually anymore. Yes, hopefully, yeah. Well, how about, how about this then? As soon as the vaccine's in and it's allowed, we do one episode from a pub somewhere. We all meet up and we do one in a, a noisiest, busiest pub we can find. <laughs> Oh, 100%. Some, some real electricity to FinRig. Yeah, yeah. I, like that. I imagine we'll all have to go over to Sean in Dublin, but <laughs> <laughs> that should be a deal. So, I mean, how, how crazy is this, though? We're doing a podcast days after the election, um, and it's not the biggest talking point. I mean, imagine a new US president with the previous president legally challenging the legitimacy of the election, an election in the US, and the biggest talking point is uh, is something else at the start of the show. It feels like one of those times where you know discovering like an alien life form might only make page four of the of the papers. <laughs> I mean, it is fantastic, isn't it? It's been announced a week after the election. I mean, they. I think there was always hints that it was always going to be around mid November time, some sort of an announcement about a vaccine. But it had to be after uh, Biden won the election. <laughs> I mean, it's just sod's law, really, isn't it? <laughs> for uh, for Trump fans. He's already asked, he's already asked questions about it. Come on, he's already asking questions on Twitter about the timing. No, he, he, yeah. he went up with this. He, he, I think he tweeted that the stock market was up first. This, this is baby. As long as that's up, everything's all right. I, I loved some of the reaction though when when I was looking on social media. You know, vaccine found to save the world, but Cineworld shares are up forty seven percent because we can go back to cinema. <laughs> so it's great to see the priorities. Some of the reporting. <laughs> And Carnival Cruise Lines, also up. <laughs> well, who's going to pick to go on a cruise, though? My God, no, no way. I think, uh, no, look, I think, you know, as I'm sitting here, my third week of uh, our second lockdown in Ireland, any sort of good news or light at the end of the tunnel is definitely welcome um, to start inching back to normality. But I think we probably still have a while to go before we're going to have that <clears throat> recording in the pub that we just talked about. So, Sean, you're three weeks in and we're just starting over here in, in England. Um, it's like a before and after. How's uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> been? You coping all right over there, though, Sean? It's not bad. You know, like, I mean, it's having been through it before. And it's a little, I think a lot, it's a little different this time in that a lot of, so food takeaway is still allowed. And I think a lot of sort of restaurants and coffee shops have adjusted their models so more is open, honestly, in town, in Dublin, than uh, would have been the first time. But it's still less than ideal. I mean, like I had my kingdom to go to the office and see other people. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll get there soon. It's interesting so when the, uh, some of the other banks that then, then start to 
get people back in really uh, it was it last week they started to roll uh, roll back the the plans about getting people back to the office now everyone's working from home then I wonder if this um this announcement you know might have any uh impact on those plans then I mean, I wouldn't think immediately. I mean, obviously, because it's just we still need to go through trials and FDA approval and all that. And I, but I think what the, all the bank offices and actually asset managers too, everyone sort of back to back to the office plans are probably going to be start stop for the next year, to be honest, depending on where things run. I mean, as great a news as you know the potential for a vaccine is, like I'm still thinking we're going to be you know a largely remote industry for. Well, at least the first half of the year. So I think we'll probably go through another round of uh, God help us virtual conferences um, in the spring before we start moving towards that sort of normality of in-person events um, and whatnot. It's got to go through peer reviewing and all that kind of business. Not that I know anything about uh, the, the drugs review pro- process, but I, I, as far as I can tell, it sounds like it could take quite a long. It could be sort of mid next year before anything is is fully approved, right? And yeah, God I think so. It I mean, it's it, right. I mean, it's undeniably great and positive news, but I don't think it's. I don't think we're gonna. I don't think it's gonna save Christmas, so to speak. You know what I mean? Wow, Sean. Sad times. <laughs> Wait, right to bring everyone down. <laughs> Cineworld chairs are going to plummet again now. <laughs> but uh, so we, we mentioned the US election, though. Let's. Uh, this is such a big, big talking point, um, you know, in global news, but also for for regulation. And um, you know, Biden's being named or dubbed the the green president. Um, so. What is the FinReg angle here, Virginia? Um, particularly interested in the, the ESG stuff. Yeah, I mean, well, well, obviously we've had um, a lot of stalling on the part of regulators and some being overly negative. I mean, from the governmental side in the US, um, if you look at the Department of Labor saying to the ERISA pension funds that they don't really want them investing <laughs> in ESG funds if they could help it. Um, they, they should be thinking only about fiduciary duties and no other goals. Um, as, as part of their proposals. I, I wonder whether that would have immediately change. It'll take time, but I'm sure that sort of attitude will, will change in the longer term and we'll see much more engagement probably on the topic of ESG with the EU. I know that the, uh, the European Commission's already started making uh, sort of proposals towards Biden about uh, having a discussion about uh, the Paris Accord and, and all of this stuff as well. I mean, all of these things come back into play. So, um, and, and I, I think, you know, in terms of some of the, the papers that have come out from some of the regulators around climate change, they have done some research on it. They just haven't engaged very much at all uh, on the topic outside of sort of the asset management com- committees and things where they have discussions behind closed doors or, you know, sort of relatively muted um, compared to the rest of the world when it comes to ESG. So I'm hopeful that it will mean much more engagement and we could possibly have some discussion about a more global standard than just the EU going ahead with a standard that everyone just eventually adopts. I don't know. But uh, that's that's one of the things I would hope is that there's going to be more engagement and discussion about it um, just so we don't have something that's completely, you know, one-sided unfortunately that's difficult for other people to adopt in other parts of the the world in North America especially given the size of their pension funds and all this stuff I don't know if you agree Sean yeah I mean look I think um, it's been interesting to see how the U.S. regulators 
in particular, the SEC and CFTC have approached DOL have approached ESG. As you pointed out, the DOL essentially told people to focus on the fiduciary duty alone. Though in their final guidance, the DOL did pull out sort of specific references to ESG, which is at least um, somewhat of a victory um, for the industry. And the SEC is really focused on sort of mis-selling and greenwashing. Um, and I don't think either regulator, no regulator in the U.S. has really gone to the next level where Europe is around what is it really about around having a ESG regulatory framework. And I would love to live in a world where there's sort of global harmonization on this. Um, However, the EU is so far ahead at the moment. I think it'll be interesting. I don't, I'm not sure how the U.S. could catch up quick enough um, to sort of harmonize unless they just adopt the EU standards, which they're not likely to do wholesale. So I think it's still going to be a, a challenging period, but at least having an administration that is more focused on sustainability and ESG, generally speaking, should help ignite some of the agency level work that really couldn't happen under the current administration. And what do you think that the, the current stance do you think um, the, the Biden administration might take then? I mean, we've reported, I think four years ago, there was a lot of reports about um, the Trump administration putting put in a uh, sort of a lighter touch uh, regulatory sort of agenda. Um, but, you know, a lot of parts of Dodd-Frank were scaled back. Um, do, do you see any of this now getting reversed and, and uh, maybe some of those um, those principles that, that, that were from the Obama Biden administration, you know, resurfacing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly likely. Though it has to be said, Biden has been pretty, details have been pretty thin on the ground around Biden's approach to uh, thin reg and the run-up to the, the election. But that said, just over the weekend, it was announced that Gary Gensler was going to be sort of his advisor who will be well known um, in regulatory circles and certainly well known internationally um, from his stint under the Obama administration. So I think, you know, Gensler essentially represents the war and wing of the Democratic Party. So I think we can expect a certain a tilt back to sort of a stricter oversight um, and uh, away from the, the Trump sort of deregulatory approach or lighter touch. But I think it's important um, when you look when we look at what could possibly happen, you know the the results in the election mean that there will essentially be a you know the Senate is going to remain in Republican control, uh, while the House and the presidency are dem- in Democratic control. So there's unlikely to be any sort of major legislative lift, um, in terms of you know massive sort of re- rejiggering of regulation. So it's really going to be down at the agency level um, to see what changes can be affected. Be that the SEC, the CFTC. Uh, the CF, um, PB, I, you know, these are the areas where I think you'll see the most change. And even recently, um, the SEC recently finalized a, a couple rules um, by a 3-2 margin, which weren't, uh, which were a little contentious that, you know, the derivatives rule for asset managers and funds and the expansion of the sort of accredited investor definition, both of which the Democratic um commissioners objected to. So I think if those votes are indicative of where we're going at an SEC level, it is probably more stricter oversight, more concern about investor protection, um, and less angle towards sort of innovation, if you will. It's interesting, though, we didn't really see a massive rollback, did we? I mean, there was a lot of promised, um, but in the four years, we haven't seen a huge rollback of anything as such. I mean, there's been a slowing down to some degree, but then regulation is always pretty slow. 
um, from my perspective. I mean, think about Dodd Frank stuff. Is how how many years? That's it's a decade now since. It's a decade um, now, yeah. <laughs> good God, uh, whoever <laughs> said they move fast? Goodness. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Like, I mean, I think if you look at under the Trump administration, there was certainly some rollback on the banking side. Um, but to be honest, that was pretty bipartisan. I mean, that came through the legislative process and sort of a, a push to tweak some of the um, elements of Dodd-Frank, though not everyone was happy with that. For asset managers, I actually don't think, I, you know, the, the current SEC has done, hasn't been doing nothing. You know, they finalized the ET, ETF rule, they finalized derivatives rule, so they have been um, putting additional rule sets in. I just think um, when you look at sort of Gensler's reputation and you look at sort of the rhetoric that comes out of that wing of the Democratic Party, it is really about sort of holding Wall Street, I'm using air quotes, you can't see it, to account. Um, and so I think there will just be sort of stricter oversight. And I think it will mean there will be less contributors um, coming from Wall Street to the Biden administration. I, I think there will be a pretty big, strong push to pull from a, from different sources um, rather than pulling from the industry, because that's you know one of the big bugbears of progressives is this concern about the revolving door and sort of captured regulators. So I think that's probably a big change uh, to watch out for. I mean, they'll also have to balance all this stuff against what's going on with the economy as well. They won't want to negatively. I'm, I'm sure they won't want to negatively impact the economy, and they'll 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 keep an eye on that also. I mean, from the regulatory level. Um, largely because obviously we're coming out of a pandemic at the start of the, of the administration. So I, I'm sure that'll be a, a key part of it. Um, certainly it's something even the I mean, the EU regulators have, have given us a lot of leeway, more so than I ever imagined them giving us um, for a year um, in terms of regulatory rollback. So so I certainly think they'll be coming in it at a, a slower pace than a normal year anyway. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think, I mean, the real economy is going to trump everything else. So I think that will be the focus. And, you know, as you said, you know, I don't, this isn't like when uh, Obama took over uh, in the height of the GFC and the need to do root and branch reform. I mean, I think everyone thinks the regulatory system held up pretty well over the last year. So there's not a burning need to fix anything. So I don't think we're going to see sort of a huge, an immediate shift. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think, you know, Finrig nerds like us live and breathe this stuff, but like it's way down on our priority list if we're being completely honest around what the thing the things that uh, the Democratic Party is going to focus on. Of course, yeah. Sean, you mentioned about um, stifle innovation a little bit. Um, what do you mean by, behind that? Well, I mean innovation. So one of the things, so the SEC under the Clayton administration, Clayton leadership has been pushing towards like the ETF rule is a really good example where they put the framework in place and with the derivatives rule have sort of normalized uh, levered ETFs now that there's a, a set guidelines around how much um, leverage can be achieved with derivatives. Um, and there have been sort of warming up to the idea of, dare I say it, uh, a cryptocurrency or Bitcoin ETF. However, the the sort of, if you look at the dissent, the dissenting remarks around that rule set was concerned that there's not the right sort of pre-sale advice in place for retail investors to buy these products. So that's sort of the, the push and pull, if you will. And I think there'll be a sort of, well, there's been a push to allow for more innovation and easier launching of products. I think there might be a slowdown of that effort um, under a, a new administration. Yeah, the impact on crypto could be interesting, actually. I wonder, I wonder if it will... I mean, because of the negative connotations of crypto in, in that, those circles, 
I'm wondering whether they'll come at it at a slightly different angle from from this current sentiment where a lot of ex <laughs> regulators are pushing this sort of area. I mean, you do say that, but I mean, even at the moment right now, uh, I think Bitcoin's thirty percent sort of crash. I don't know if that's off off the back of the, the Pfizer announcement, but uh, well, gold's going down, so Bitcoin, yeah, probably. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think I think the the attitudes towards crypto will be interesting to see because I think in the last couple of years there's been a thawing, at least at the SEC, around sort of understanding what place it could play um, in sort of retail products. Uh, no, admittedly they, they they've set a very high bar, which is why we you know, we've seen over the last seven years a bunch of um, failed attempts to launch a crypto ETF, and there are currently none in front of the SEC. But I think the attitude towards crypto. Could change purely because it has terrible PR um, and it's sort of, it's sort of <laughs> it hasn't really gotten to the place where the it's shaken its sort of dodgy uh, reputation. Yeah, I, I think the SEC warming to Bitcoin was was quite generous. I know, I'm not sure I ever saw them particularly warm to it in recent years. I mean, warmed more than they were two years ago. I, mean, I think so. You see recent statements by Clayton at a, a conference where he said they were willing to consider it, which is more than they would have said a year ago, to be honest. So I think we we're still a while away regardless. Um, but I think it will, I think the attitude will, will change uh, slightly. But I think the other thing, like if you look at what's the to-do list, and this really relates to COVID for the SEC, you know, I guess it will be interesting to see what it means for money market fund reform, because that's squarely um, in the regulator spotlight at the moment on both sides of the Atlantic, to be fair, um, but sort of a change in administration could see a sort of a more restrictive rule set being proposed in the U.S. Uh, as they look to sort of address some of the issues with money market funds that we saw in March and April. I mean, I, I always think the cooperation angle is really interesting because I think um, it will put the U.S. in a slightly different light in terms of international cooperation, if I put it there sort of diplomatically. <laughs> um, it might be easier um, to, to get some agreement and some collaboration going. I know, not that it has been particularly difficult for some of the regulators, but I think overall just re- regulatory cooperation is going to be on the cards for, for the UK and the US as well. I know there's been a lot of discussion over the last day or so about that as well. So that'll be interesting to see what that does with our own regulatory uh, angle and, and the stuff that we're doing at the moment. So I, I certainly think it'll be impactful outside of just the US on that front. I mean, I mean, do you think there could be uh, maybe a closer collaboration then with with the European Commission uh, with the, with, uh, under a Biden regime? Especially, I think he's probably a lot more. Uh, I think, given his sort of Irish back, his Irish roots, um, that that he'd probably be a little bit more in favour with um, the 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 the, the EC and and maybe uh, a tougher maybe have a tougher t- the FCA uh, might have a tougher time you know, post Brexit. So I think, you know, actually, certainly, at, you know, at a political level, relationships should improve between the UK, EU and US um, under a new administration, just sort of with a, a changing of the sort of attitude in, the, in Washington. Though I would say, and I, I think this gets lost in the shuffle lot, the, you know, the CFTC and the SEC have been sort of shockingly internationalist in their approach over the last four years, probably more so than they were. Prior to that, you know, you look at all the work that's been done around cooperation, around derivatives clearing. Um, I mean, it's a stark contrast to where we started off. So I actually think hopefully that sort of collaboration 
continues um, under the new leadership, which is why the Gensler uh, advisor role is really interesting because those of us who went through the the wars when Gensler was in charge will remember he was very much more of a uh, regulatory my way or the highway approach, um, which sort of really alienated sort of internet European and UK regulators. So I think that will be interesting to track. And then I think the other thing, which, you know, the, the FSOC um, has sort of been sidelined under the Trump administration. And so I think that could get sort of a renewed vigor, which would certainly help around international cooperation at like the FSB level. Agreed. I think that that will be interesting with the, the international bodies as well. And uh, actually, in, in other news and, and, and sort of slightly relevant, I guess it's related to what we're talking about here is this. Did you see the study this week that's come out from the Bank for International Settlements about the benefits of sandboxing? I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> it, it's sort of proof, um, some statistical proof out there that these regulatory sandboxes actually do make an impact on the fintechs that, that engage with them. And I wonder whether we'll see more of those popping up. Um, I know that the uh, there's some restrictions around what the CFTC and SEC can do, but I mean, on the innovation front, it is it's positive to see that kind of engagement, and maybe that's a lesson learned. Um, but you know, the st- the stats are showing that you know 15% more uh, investment goes into a fintech that has gone through the sandbox procedure with a, with a regulator. So I mean, that's pretty pretty good that's stats yeah. for fintechs to look at. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, I mean, obviously the FCA, I think it's fair to say it's sort of pioneered or been at the leading vanguard of that sandbox approach. So it would be interesting to see with some sort of, with that amount of empirical evidence, if it sort of spurs other regulators to sort of move in that direction as well, for sure. Just looking at the report now, Virginia, just came out today by the looks of it. What did you have? Yeah, no, no, I looked through it. I looked through it very quickly. <laughs> I'm speed reading. <laughs> There's some good stuff in the back. There you go. So more of that, more that real time fintech news. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just uh, I'm just reading the summary to to catch up. But yeah, you're right. Uh, increase of fifteen percent in capital raised, and the probability of raising capital increases by fifty percent. Very interesting. Well, I guess it's, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because I mean, fintechs are a bit of a risk for most investors if if you're an unknown. But if you've gone through a regulatory process where you have a proven understanding now of, of FinReg and how, how it applies to the business, it means you've got somewhat of, you know, you've got the trust of the regulator to some degree, however much that might be. But um, certainly that's the perception. And all of this stuff is around trust, isn't it, for investors? So that's why I expect it, it's, it's probably convincing. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense if you think about it. I mean, you need having sort of regulatory oversight of makes it easy to adopt, even for institutions, fintech, rather than being concerned that your partner is going to be operating outside of the outside of the rule set. So, I mean, I guess it does make a lot of sense. So I will say I've always been skeptical of these sandboxes, so I might have to reread this report to adjust my uh, my position. It is easy to be skeptical of them, but I mean, that's quite, it's, I mean, it's good for the fintechs, though, isn't it? I mean, that's the mm. thing, right? That's the whole point is to benefit that bit of the industry and give them some guidance and give them some benefits for engaging with the scary regulators. So right. <laughs> if it works, it works, I guess. No, I mean, it'd be great if it works because, I mean, also from a regulator perspective, knowing what's come, like being involved in the beginning and not having to sort of all of a sudden backstop or try to regulate something that's grown sort of too quickly outside of the regulatory framework is just a lot easier. So I can see the benefits to both sides. I mean, that's probably why regulators, uh, even central banks as well, probably has been so involved in, in the on the uh, 
crypto sort of central bank money, isn't it? Uh, Maybe these fintechs that that, that are sort of working alongside um, the regulators uh, and also the central banks as well. There's probably a lot more promise for them. Well, it's all with a view to what's going on in China, because we already have sort of a central bank digital currency there, albeit not on a blockchain, right? (laughs) So if they're already doing it, then people have to worry about it to some degree, right? Yeah, and I think that and when the Facebook last year um, made their ill-fated attempt to try to upend the world with their uh, crypto plan probably was sort of a a wake-up call to a lot of central banks, though. I will forever remain skeptical of the need for sort of a, a digital or crypto currency at a central bank level, but it is interesting to see them um, pouring a lot of time into it. Likewise, likewise. I mean, I, I sat through Cybos Week and, and a couple of other conferences where people were talking endlessly about central bank CBDCs, as they're now called. And I, I just don't see, it's an academic exercise at the moment, as far as I can see, aside from in, in certain countries where it's progressed in Asia. But Outside of that, I don't see why why we need one, but uh, I'm sure uh, lots of people will get annoyed with me for saying that, and I'll get lots of angry tweets and emails. <laughs> right, yeah, same here. I mean, I think honestly, if you look at the uh, the drive, like if you look in the U.S., honestly, the driving force behind it is the fact that the payment network is like basically Victorian plumbing. So if, you know, if the, if the Fed really wanted to pick, you know, speed things up in the U.S., it could install a, a 21st century payments network. It might realize it doesn't need to put a blockchain and digital currency in the middle of that. So I think part of it is just the worldview for where some of these ideas are coming from. Actually, I could just picture you with that in that and that meme with the uh, the guy sort of sitting in his chair saying, CBC, CBDCs are overrated, prove me wrong. He's just there just <laughs> sipping, a, sipping a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's the problem though. You don't want to tear up that hornet's nest. I mean, what, what I did see the proof, right? So we, we have seen proof that we need distributed ledger for government um, elections, though, don't we? <laughs> Given last week, I think that's where we're seeing blockchain demand, right? <laughs> we're, a little, we're a little bit skeptical on uh, DLT and blockchain at the moment, given the, uh, the another year delay on the uh, ASX chess replacement. <laughs> I mean, that's not, it's, no one should be surprised by that, surely. I mean, the most worrying bit about that story is that you know it sort of emerges that the, the reason they're delaying or that one of the reasons they're delaying is the lack of scalability to be able to deal with that that level of volume with, with within volatility you know with the volatility we've just had and and that worries me that you know you need to go away for what a year to, to add the scalability to be able to deal with an increase in volume I mean you've got to be able to think I mean think about operational resilience here that 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 should set off some warning lights if that's yeah. really I mean, the, the actual, yeah, the reason behind the market volatility was unexpected, but a bout of market volatility is hardly unexpected. You know, it will happen every now and then uh, for Quite. one reason or another. So to not be able to handle it, yeah, huge. A little bit concerning there. Um, hardly uh, the poster child for uh, DLT in the, in the post-trade world at the moment, is it? Well, I, there are very few out there, unfortunately, <laughs> if you ask me. I mean, we've only got six, I think, is the only other one that's sort of incoming. That's next year, the, the digital exchange that they're working on. But that's oh, limited. So, so. even six projects, but a project by six. So it's actually one project <laughs> by six. Yes. Yes. Very confusing name. Very confusing name. <laughs> one to keep an eye on. Well, okay. That, that's great. Um, look, brilliant insight into... Uh, the election vaccines are more today. Um, so thanks for your time, everyone. Uh, Virginie, anything you're working on at the moment you, you particularly want to plug for? 
Yes, yes, I've got quite a few things out at the moment. So anyone that's in data management or reconciliation um, or operations for that matter, I'm, I'm doing a couple of digital maturity assessments for those markets and trying to benchmark where people have made investments and where they need to improve. So if you're interested, um, drop me a line um, at versiony at fintechfirebrand.com or check out my website, which is www.fintechfirebrand.com um, or catch me on Twitter at Virginie O'Shea. Ah, that was it. I thought that was yep. it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> cool. Uh, cool. Um, yeah, thanks, Virginie, and uh, good for those people sending you uh, cryptocurrency and CBDC hate to know where to catch you. Uh, Sean, <laughs> any, anything from you? No, yes, thanks. As always, check out our latest uh, our latest thinking insights at City Securities Services Insights at City Velocity backslash insights. Brilliant. Joe, what did you see working on at the moment? Uh, well, we've got the uh, the sequel to our September awards documentary, don't we? This is no, this is the documentary that everybody asked for, so we had to respond. We had to listen, and, and, and now we're back again, um, putting together, uh, this time looking at the fund services industry, uh, fund administration, prime brokerage, um, and, and uh, that, that's, that's supposed to be sort of premiering in December. So, yeah, look out for all the materials around that. Where's the film location for this one? Uh, yeah, New uh, Let's just say this New York. New, yeah, somewhere it, it looks like New York, but it may or may not be in New York. <laughs> <laughs> but there'll be plenty of stock footage of New York in the documentary. Let's put it Fantastic. That way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a bit more of a, a US focus on this one, and uh, yeah, I've been bumped off uh, this documentary, um, despite its its roaring success. The, the first one, Joe's going to be presenting the uh, the sequel. So um, much like uh, Vin Diesel in Triple X, I've been kicked off the uh, the casting for the sequel. Um, and Joe, you'll be the uh, the Ice Cube for, for, for this one. That was the only example I could think of of an actor not being invited back for the sequel. Sad times. (laughs) (laughs) And in addition to that documentary, Joe, we also have one uh, in the middle where we're working with our sister publication, The Trade, to produce a new documentary called Outsource Trading, Battle of the Trading Desks. Uh, That is, of course, following the trend of uh, outsource trading that seems to be sweeping the markets right now. So obviously some custodian views in there with a lot of them moving into front office outsource trading services. But having seen all three episodes and and the full feature of that, I can highly recommend that that's a a fantastic project which the two brands have worked on. So do keep an eye out for that. It's coming live uh, via the Global Custodian website on Thursday, I believe. So do give that a watch. Well, as always, thanks again for everyone uh, on the panel's time. Um, for, for your listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, do feel free to give us feedback, whether that's via email or leave us a, a review on wherever you listen to your podcast, preferably five stars. Thanks again. And we'll speak to you again soon. You were listening to There's Always a Thimra Gangle podcast with Global Custodian. <laughs>